Guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to Quad podcast 99 at gmail.com reach out on facebook at quadcast or online at drquadjo.ca welcome to solving healthcare i'm quadro caramante i'm an icu and palliative care physician here in ottawa and the founder of resource optimization network we are on a mission to transform healthcare in canada I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Qualcast Nation, solving wellness community, we brought back the one, the only, the gem, Michelle Sorensen. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's always good to be here. It's absolutely great to see you. It feels like it's been forever. Like I, I probably haven't physically seen you actually since the pandemic started, really. It's been, yes, yeah, since, since you moved away from uh, the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do miss y'all. Um, yes, you do. So we're talking about social anxiety today. And the reason I think this is an important issue is we're in the midst of the relaxation of, of some of these restrictions Mm -hmm. and for a lot of people out there, like not only on social media, but people, you know, friends, colleagues, they're, they're struggling with the idea of moving forward. And, you know, I I think once again, if we could come from a place of compassion, we could, we could walk through this together, but I think this is a concern to many. So, you know, maybe my first question, uh, Michelle is like, is this what you're seeing as well, either professionally or, or just you being Michelle? Yeah, definitely just me being a person out in the world like everyone else. I mean, it can be a bit of a cause for division in families right now or in friend groups that some people are at the very anxious end of the continuum, experiencing social anxiety, having a hard time accepting invitations, you know, even to gather in a backyard. Um, and what I find really interesting, and I know you and I spoke about it a bit when we talked about doing this topic for kind of our CBT series is that, um, like a lot of people are even surprised, like saying to their therapist or whoever, you know, last summer I was okay doing some of these things. And how come now the idea of going on a patio feels actually scary or wrong and we have had now 16 months of conditioning and and definitely a full year since last summer when things did feel a bit more normal for a lot of people Um, and then just with all the traumatic events of more lockdown and school closures and 
healthcare being so overwhelmed, it's it's understandable that for some people it's really hard now to think in a balanced way or to figure out what's right for them. And then in terms of what we're seeing in therapy, we see all that, but we also see some of the positives, which is there are a number of people who have welcomed the change in restrictions and kind of the new stages of reopening and they're really embracing it. And they really notice that when they do some new things, they feel better. They don't need to be in therapy as much. Like it feels like recovery for them. So as you said, it's kind of nice ideally that we can have compassion for people being in different places and help each other without judgment or pressure. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that Michelle. Cause I, I, I mean, just at a personal level, like I must say, just so everyone's cognizant of my bias, I am very, been very welcoming of of the you know loosening of restrictions and uh, just with our our current situation, especially in Ottawa. And, um, you know, when you see on the you know once again social media, like how can we go to gyms again? I'm like, yes, this is what we need. This is yeah. good for your well being mentally. Oh, me and too. I was at my Pilates studio Friday, the first day at Open. Yes. You know, second class of the day, and they laughed and they knew I would be back quickly. And I don't judge anyone who doesn't feel safe. Um, but I think you know what you were alluding there to is like you see a lot of evidence firsthand, frontline that tells you according to your perception, that things are quite safe out in the community, right? And everyone has different levels of risk aversion. Totally, totally. And so, I mean, we, I guess we, we touched on why this is happening, which once again, it completely makes sense. Like, what are the, what do we, what do people do about it? Like, what are kind of like the principles to kind of get us, those that are struggling with the social anxiety through these yeah, that's right. We always on this show, we don't want to just talk about the way things are, but like, how can we make it better? How can we make change? Um, so, I mean, from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective, we always start like understanding the problems. Okay, everything happens within the context of our environment. We're in this, you know, COVID situation, pandemic, perhaps becoming endemic, but like the whole world has been turned upside down. Um, some people's lives affected in different ways than others, obviously. So we have to look at the environment and start with a, from a place of self-compassion, like, wow, life has really changed. This is a lot to adapt to. And now to try and adapt to a new normal, hopefully, um, that is a lot. And then we look at within the context of our environment, what are our thoughts? How does that affect our moods, our behaviors, and then physical reactions? So when we look at social anxiety, I think there's these two main principles. One, like all anxiety, we want to avoid anxiety. Like that is the human instinct. It feels uncomfortable. Anxiety is a really awful feeling. So whether it's about public speaking, some people don't like using washrooms outside their own home. Like there's all kinds of people are anxious about snakes, about spiders, people will do anything to avoid what they're anxious about, including social interactions. But avoidance is the evil twin of anxiety. That's how I often say it to clients. The more we avoid, the more we are sending ourselves a message that we're not capable of. And then the more we avoid. Mm -hmm. And it's just an endless cycle. So for example, if you think about high school students this year, 
who maybe were anxious about public speaking or exam writing. I mean, who's not anxious going into exams, right? Unless you don't care at all about your grades and about passing. Like, it's a very anxiety-producing experience. But when you have to do it, you get better at it. And then if you go to college or university and the experience is a bit bigger or the exams are worth more marks, you've habituated, you've taught yourself that you're capable and that maybe once you're writing the exam, your anxiety drops. Like the way you feel standing outside the auditorium. Do you remember that from university? Oh my God, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like sickening, right? The days you'd have two big exams, like one at nine o'clock, one at one o'clock, like, I mean, I look back and I think, wow, like so young and just what you have, but huge formative experiences in terms of teaching yourself that you're capable. So when we look at, you know, again, this is not necessarily a social anxiety example, but when we look at how much avoidance people have either had to or been able to engage in, there are many things that will feel even scarier and social interactions, whether it's small talk or being with a group of people in a gym, like things that didn't feel anxiety provoking or felt manageable, just like a a little nervous might feel much more now. So this one principle is we want to reduce avoidance. And then the flip side is we want to increase exposure. And in therapy and in CBT, we look at doing gradual exposure in a really thoughtful way. And so for people who aren't necessarily like who are listening, who maybe don't have this themselves, but they have a partner or a teenager or a child or a coworker or they're a healthcare professional and they have, you know, maybe you're a physio or a chiropractor and people on the table are talking about this and kind of opening up. We can kind of plant the seeds, like just start small, right? So in therapy, we might actually do like what we call a a fear ladder where the bottom rungs of the ladder are like the first steps, the more manageable, the, the least anxiety producing. And then we build our way up. But even just in casual conversations with compassion, we might be able to plant seeds like, and so is the me too, like, oh, I have felt like that before, like empathizing with people. And this is what helped me. I felt nervous to, you know, go on a patio. But once I did it, it actually felt really great for me. Like I felt proud of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, there's so much gold in there. I, I mean, on a personal level, once I'll say, I'm going to regret saying this, but like, just to be on the show that, you know, I'm very human. My, my kryptonite is like mice. If you show me any rodent, I will like legit jump on this table. Like I'm, I'm like, I can't do it. Yeah. And that whole principle of, of exposure and, 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 um, doing stuff that you're, you know, normally anxious about is, is gold. Cause you know, it, this is how you, this is how you build that character. That's how you become, you know, in uh, for our kids, those formative years, this is how they become who they become. More and, resilient. Uh, more right? resilient. Absolutely. You can have fears. You can actually, there's a wonderful Nelson Mandela quote where he says, courage is not the absence of fear. It's mm-hmm. feeling afraid. I mean, I might not say it quite this way, but it's like feeling afraid and doing it anyways. Yes, right? absolutely. Like, I, I think it's one of the lessons I try and um, put on the kids is like, like, let's do, let's do stuff regularly that we're kind of anxious or scared about. Cause once yeah, you, you know what I mean? Right. Cause like a lot of times you, you, you do it and you're like, wow, I actually can do it. Applying yeah. for a position, starting a podcast, starting a clinic, all mm-hmm. these things, 
you know, there, there, there's a lot of anxiety around it. But once you get once you start and, uh, you know, as you said, it doesn't have to take something big. Um, well, and that's the thing on. for kids right now and why kids do need to be back to more experiences, more normal so we don't end up with a generation of super anxious people is that all kinds of experiences overlap. So I'm sure you have examples from your kids this summer. I know one of them went off to sleepaway camp. I remember two summers ago, mm-hmm. mine, their camp didn't unfortunately pull it off this summer because of all the late notice. And But two summers ago, for the first time, all four of my kids went to camp. The two younger ones were just there for like a half week. And to see that, of course, it was scary, but the boost in confidence, because what happens is when we avoid, we, we're, we're sending ourselves a message, I can't. But when we get anxious and we do it, and then we use our coping strategies, there's this message, I can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, on the weekend, we went to a water park for the first time in a long time with my uh, younger, well, with three of them, not the teenager. And it was so amazing. My youngest daughter actually had a lot of like anxieties, you know, as she was growing up, like just like animals and, you know, heights. And for her to see what she could do that she couldn't do two years ago, like bigger slides, one of the slides where you're going through the dark, Mm -hmm. she's so excited and proud of herself. And that will translate into tackling things that make her anxious at school, right? Mm -hmm. No, I'll let... I, I love that. I, I like the same thing with one of our kids to going to, uh, to camp here and just first day was just horrible. And, you know, because it's been so long since they've had to, you know, hang out with new kids and so forth. Yeah. And then, you know, back at it, meet, meeting other kids the next day. And before you know it, he's back to himself. So, yeah, yeah. amazing. It's so, so important. So if we think about what many adults are dealing with these days, they might not feel very good about being anxious. Like it's easy for people to get kind of anxious about getting anxious, which again leads to more avoidance or to feel silly about it, or maybe to want to embrace a set of beliefs that supports it. Like that's a real worry about if we are going to need, which, you know, you as the physician would know more about, but like if we are going to be moving to this is endemic, COVID will be around, but because of vaccination, the risk profile is much lower. Well, what we want, like what we don't want is for people to cling to this belief that they have to stay home because that's what they were told for so long and miss out on life experiences. Yeah. And that's what my exact fear too, Michelle, for a lot of people is you see how much they're suffering and and how much they're missing out on. Not only our youth, but just everyone and from the day to day and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I read it was one of those tw- gym tweets again when they said they were going to open up uh, gyms. Someone, someone said, "I've been self quarantining for 537 days," and I'm like, "My God!" Mm-hmm. You know, like that, <laughs> like to think that this is what you felt like you had to do. Yeah, I, I remember even hearing. I'm hearing this from another podcast. I can't remember which one, so I, I apologize for the plagiarism or whatever the term is. But there was an oncology patient that you know, in the UK that he was, uh, legit was so fearful of, of, of having COVID that, um, getting COVID that his oncologist actually said, you know what, you're going to come out with a walk with me or a hike or something, play golf, something along those lines. And that first step for that oncology patient, like realizing, wow, this, 
like I can be smart about this. I can live. Uh, I don't have, you know, I don't have to stay physically in my house the whole time. I can be a human yes. connect in a safe way it was just so enlightening and changed the trajectory of, of his, uh, his journey. And I just want that for people. I just really yeah, want that I for know, people. It's so concerning. And like, there are parents who beyond being afraid to send their children to school because of what I started to call the anti-school um, group out there, you know, like there actually seem to be a set of professionals that are anti-school. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, I, as I know you have said, like much of it is not data driven. Those of us who have had our kids in school, I mean, my kids were at three different schools. I think each of them later in the year, each had one case, no mm -hmm. spread. So we had evidence that schools were safe for our yeah. kids. But if you don't send your kid to school and you believe certain headlines or narrative that this airborne virus is dangerous for children and you don't have a chance to gather evidence otherwise, and then you don't send them out to play. Some people are scared to let their kids play in their own backyard. Yeah. Even during periods like during the third wave, um, you know, afraid to open windows. Yeah. So talk about a public health disaster. Right. Like oh, you could have children ending up with scurvy, let alone. I mean, there have been reports of more type two diabetes, fatty liver disease, things that we don't see in many children normally. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know when we what happened, but we just, in my opinion, swung the pendulum too far with the fear uh, mm -hmm. messaging. I like I know why the fear messaging was there initially to get some buy in. But man, this deep in the pandemic, like. I, I I still have, like, if I were to ask you, Michelle, how many patients that I've seen in the year and almost a year and a half of the pandemic that have contracted COVID outdoors, how many do you think you, say if I saw 100 patients, how many do you think we, we uh, clearly well, I'm got? sure many people would say more, but my guess, because I read the research and because, like, I would say probably zero, although I know you never know for sure, or like one or two. Like, like zero. Like, yeah. I mean, in terms of like a clear outdoor exposure, um, the ones that you might hear about, they often are in the car together or whatever. Yes. Um, I, I'm, you know, and to that point is, is that, you know, there's still people that are extremely fearful, even being at a distance that they're, they're yeah. going to get COVID this way. And, you know, I, I even had a, a buddy that um, kid, his kid went to the park. This is in the midst of a third wave or beginning of the third wave. And, you know, Delta, no, Delta, UK variant was, uh, was, was a fear. And he was like, oh, you know, buddy, my five-year-old went to the park without a mask. I forgot to bring one. Like, should I be scared or what have you? And I'm like, buddy, man, it's okay. Like, it, it really is. It's, yeah, look really at all the space. Look at all the yeah. fresh air, right? But to, to think that they had that huge level of anxiety and fear yeah. when, you know, that threat was was really negligible. Um, it's, it's just hard for, you know, to hear people having to go through that. And, 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 and as I mean, you'll know better than this. It's just some of these impacts can be pretty chronic. You know what yeah, I mean? For sure. I'm really worried about the long-term effects. So for people, whether it's health anxiety or social anxiety or just generalized anxiety, just to start small, right? This idea that if you expose yourself to something you haven't done, yeah, like you were giving the, it sounds like it helps to say, like, look at a concrete example. So if it's about mice, 
you know, your right. Achilles heel. So it might be that in therapy, what would say is like, look at some photos of mice, then a video. <laughs> That's too much, hey, Quadro? Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could do this. That's so <laughs> but, funny. Uh, Oh but God. yeah, like eventually you'd build up to, you might even have someone who really wants to overcome this fear that would, I don't know, go somewhere where they could actually, you know, look at a mice, mouse in an aquarium or something. Um, but yeah, you're not there yet. It's okay. That's why we do gradual exposure. Thinking about mice, but when you expose yourself, so let's think now about a social situation and like the ladder, like the hierarchy. So say the first step for someone is going on a socially distanced walk with a friend they haven't seen for a while. Well, what you'd want to work through is how can you balance your thoughts, reminding yourself of the evidence of the coping strategies in place. I'll be vulnerable with my friend and tell her this is a big step. So she's okay walking on the other side of the sidewalk or we'll go on a path where we know we don't have to be too close together. Maybe the first time I wear a mask, and then I aim to do a second walk without a mask. Um, so it's this idea of really gradual exposure. But I do find for people who are really anxious, it's best if it goes hand in hand with a bit of vulnerability, like open up to people and let them know you're struggling so they can respond with empathy. Obviously, if someone can't respond with empathy, they're not a good person to start out with. Mm -hmm. Rather than if you try and hide that you're anxious, you might get defensive or you might, you know, tell someone else they're crazy for taking off their mask rather than like letting them know how you're feeling. I really like that. I've seen this a couple of times in the hospital where people like, I got to tell you what, what, no matter what way, when, when some of the public comes into the hospital, they are super scared. You know, yeah. a lot of people haven't left their house in a while and, and that vulnerability, you could see how much it helps. Like I saw a situation where, you know, this poor old lady was like shaking in fear and she needed direction and the, the lovely healthcare provider, she was like, you know, I could see that you're anxious about it. I'm vaccinated. I'll, I could show you from a distance or whatever. And the, just that it was a beautiful interaction because, you know, it, like the, that visitor felt seen and felt, you know, that level of safety because, yeah. you know, opened up about her vulnerability about, you know, COVID and being fearful of it. And, and that healthcare provider was able to now um, address it appropriately, like address it with compassion. And yeah, You're I, I, right. I, I just yeah, remember thinking like, are, I've had a few clients who have had to have contact with the medical care system who haven't been out that much, like who work from home. And you're so right. Like for them to not start off, like having a walk with a friend or at a patio, but having to go to emerge or something like that if you know maybe it's with their child or for themselves but that's a hundred percent true like something for them to feel proud of is i was honest right off the bat and said this is really huge for me i'm really scared and it's very hard when someone's saying that to be impatient or you know so they're more likely to get a supportive response but say they tried to hide it and they look like that difficult patient who maybe wasn't being a good historian or telling their story well or explaining, but the healthcare professional doesn't realize that's because like they're having a panic attack. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. Like it, it does look so different when there isn't that level of vulnerability and openness. It's just like, who is this curmudgeon person? Why are they being short with me? Um, 
And uh, this is the, the lessons I learned from you guys, actually, from, you know, my wife and and yourself is like, you know, what's the root of this? Like, you know, usually people aren't that, like anxiety is a, what's a, like a secondary emotion or something? Is that what it is? Well, anger is anger, always masking other things. Yeah. Hurt, yeah. disappointment, fear, like yeah. anger never exists by itself. And oh boy, there's so much anger right now, right? In oh society. Yeah. I actually find one of the challenges too, and I'm not sure what the best approach is. You know, I, a lot of my personal behavior is cause I, I feel like some other people might be anxious. Like, so like if I'm walking across, uh, if I'm walking on a sidewalk, for example, I might like walk on the street a little bit to, to kind of appease, you know, there's that level of anxiety of, of like, Oh, you know, he's walking too close. I don't want to. Yeah. Know. And like, it's a read, like sometimes you could see it's, they might start to put the, uh, you know, something around their mouth or they might yeah. put their mask up or they're walking with the mask. And, but at the same time, I'm just like, want to show like, Hey, this is okay. We we could, we could live a, a, a relatively normal life and be, st- and still be protected, especially as really, especially if you're vaccinated. But yeah, I'm always torn on terms of how I should be carrying myself. Well, I think like, I, I mean, I do appreciate what you said there. I do that too, where even though I'm not worried about passing right by someone, just, yeah, sometimes giving a bit of space so that people feel comfortable. But I think when we met, when we like pair it with a smile or an acknowledgement, a hello, it really goes a long ways. And especially outdoors where there is less masking and people can see each other's faces. Mm-hmm. Like again, when we look at trauma and all the disconnection, so anxiety is one of the symptoms of trauma and all this not seeing each other. I mean, I know I've heard healthcare reflect and we know there are people retiring, quitting healthcare. I mean, it was in the headlines the other week that Quebec, they're having a big problem, I think, eh, keeping all the, you know, everything open. And I know from working with a lot of healthcare, like clients in my practice, that it's not usually the fear of COVID at this point, of course, in the initial outbreak, yes. It's the dehumanizing of healthcare. It's not seeing colleagues' faces as much. Mm -hmm. It's misreading what's happening with a patient because you can't see their face or they can't see you smile or they don't have a family member with them. Like, so again, when we look at anxiety and trauma, like out and about, if we can smile and say hi to people, just show them the good in humanity, like we can all make a difference. I was in the grocery store the other day and, you know, wearing my mask like everyone else but this older gentleman saw me like I was kind of flying through the grocery store I was grabbing some quick like one of my kids was having a few friends over to the backyard so I was going to get easy lunch food and it was really funny because my husband always jokes about how fast I do groceries like I'm a fast shopper I'm not price shopping I'm like time is money I'm getting through the grocery store I'm getting home um but this older man said exactly that. He goes, wow, you're a fast shopper. And it, I was like, well, this is, no one starts conversations anymore no, true. out in public. So, you know, you try and smile behind your mask. And I always think I started my career actually after grad school at an EAP where we did telephone counseling. And I used to train other counselors and say, like, put a smile into your voice. That's possible, right? Yeah. So with him, I was like, I really tried to respond warmly and we had this nice exchange and off I went and I thought, yeah, like people, 
really need more of that, the connection. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that, um, you know, I started a new leadership position and I, it's one of my missions is to really have that kind of supportive, positive outlook on uh, with our staff, like enough with the, you know, like I want, we'll be empathetic to the struggles, obviously, but we want to also have that, you know, that positive mindset, that good attitude, the supportive attitude with each other, because this is, it's medicine right now. It's medicine. People, I've seen it directly when, when, especially leaders are coming down on their staff. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You know, once again, wrapping up burnout, wrapping up anxiety, you'd see it directly. And right now, in my opinion, it's time to, to really, you know, give the medicine, which is that positive attitude, that positive messaging and that support. Well, and if people who are practicing medicine and part of the healthcare system get it from coworkers, family, people around them, they're more likely to have some to give their patients. And you're right, it is medicine, right? Mm-hmm. If, um, if a doctor is empathic with a patient, I remember long ago reading research where and a, and a doctor listens well to their patient, patients are more likely to follow their advice. 100%. Right? 100%. If someone is hesitant about vaccination and they're shown empathy and concern, maybe they have medical trauma and their doctor acknowledges that. Yeah, I can see at times you've been let down. It's hard for you to trust. They're more likely to end up following their doctor's advice, right? When people are shamed and blamed. I mean, it's, I think with you know some very ambitious goals we have about reaching more people with vaccination, although we're already in a pretty good place, Personally, as a psychologist, I think that's the big barrier. Now we've got a society where you've got a huge number of people who are like, yes, vaccine passport. These people have to be forced. What better way to create resistance, like to not trust and to think, why are they forcing me? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really a shame. No, and I read this somewhere. I can't remember what book it was in, but motivational in- Motivational interviewing? Is yeah, that the motivational term? interviewing. Yeah. It, we'll make Butler, Miller, they're the group that d- developed it. Yeah. Is that, oh, yeah. I'll let, yeah. yeah. That's your Huckleberry for real. But they were using that to, for childhood vaccinations uh, as a way of really um, ramping it up. And I, I believe it was in Quebec, one of the, at least the story that I was reading. Um, but it came down to exactly as you said, the opposite of shaming and, and blaming. Yeah, their principles are like roll with resistance, resist your writing reflex, which makes healthcare too prescriptive and directive. Mm-hmm. Like ask questions, do more listening. Yeah, if there's resistance, don't fight it, roll with it, try and understand it. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, it's going to be my mission after this is done to find the, like it's, a, it's they started this program in Quebec because of like the motivational interview, how successful it was. So mm-hmm. um I'll find this for the people. Yeah, it comes from addictions work. Many of the hardest to help patients. And uh, yeah, it's excellent. I have a little book called Motivational Interviewing in Healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we could, I mean, that sounds like a, Number one, a show. And number two, something that maybe everybody needs to, all the young upstarts need to read about because that's... uh, that's so important, especially yeah, now, serious. especially now. Yeah. Um, Michelle, any anything we forgot to mention in terms of social anxiety? I just want to make sure that we crossed all our T's. 
Yeah, I think so those two main principles to start. Avoidance is a natural instinct. Try to approach, like I always say, approach rather than avoid. Even if you approach 5% and while you use your coping skills, you're approaching and you don't have to go the whole nine miles. Like if someone say their goal is to go on a patio with their partner, if they go on the patio for 20 minutes and they're like, that's enough for me, but I brought my anxiety down while I was here, I'm feeling better. Well, then it's a success. If you get to the patio and you leave because you're anxious before sitting down, you might be sending yourself a message that you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Try again. So approaching rather than avoiding and increasing your exposure gradually. And then I think just kind of the conversation we could just went into a little bit about kind of the state of the world is just for people to acknowledge that anxiety does come from trauma. It's not just capital T trauma, like you're a nurse or physician or respiratory therapist working in ICU. Like everyone has had trauma. Many people have previous traumas in their life that have affected how they perceive COVID, whether they're the people who hate restrictions or embrace them. Like Our own life stories are part of that. Um, But there's a wonderful book called Trauma and Recovery. It's a really old book now by Judith Herman, a a medical doctor. And she talks about the stages of recovery from trauma. So she looks at like people coming back from war, like all kinds of trauma. And it really struck me. I was, I might've talked about this before on the podcast, but I was rereading it at the beginning of COVID and I had read it like early in my career and she talks about the stages and I actually wrote them down so I could go through them because I think I actually did a presentation for healthcare and a lot and wellness professionals early in the pandemic and they all really related to it because it, and I, we would have never known back then how long this would be going on, but she talks about the stages. So first is you have to establish safety finding people you trust. Maybe that's a therapist. Maybe it's, you know, reconnecting with a few friends. So establishing safety by finding people you can trust. Then remembrance and mourning. Everyone needs to tell their story. That's very therapeutic. Again, it might happen in your life. Maybe it happens professionally. Um, So it's kind of mourning what's happened. Like that helps us actually empower ourselves to move forward. And then the third stage is reconnection with the world. Um, With the normal world is what she talked about, but we know there's a new normal. The world's not going to completely go back to how it was. So even if the world is changed, we need to reconnect with it. And then the fourth stage is commonality. So what do we have in common with others? And I think this ties perfectly to what we were just talking about. All this division, all this anger it really leads us away from recovery. But if people who have been in different spots with COVID look more for what they have in common with others, that's actually a big part of recovery. I like that. And there's probably more in common than we all think. Um, Especially. We all just want to be okay. Right. Like everyone wants that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to, you know, what's our underlying values, you know, like uh, I think that's an important message because if we stick with that you'll find way more commonality than you 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 ever think you will you know we just want yeah what's best for well for for all of us um 
Well, and so here again, it's this theme of contribution. How can everyone contribute to the good in the world instead of all the anger and the division? And I think that was a theme of, I liked your recent podcast with Dr. Prasad, right? Oh, I was just, I was just about to bust it. And that hasn't left me, by the way, that whole, so for those that missed that one, when I Prasad a couple of weeks ago, uh, this guy's a brilliant, uh, brilliant voice when it comes to COVID, uh, hemo-oncologist. And um, I, I, I can't, I, it hasn't left me this idea that, you know, this was a time where we, a lot of us would have felt that need to serve, to, to that duty. Um, like, what can we contribute right now to, to deal with this worldwide pandemic, this crisis? And um, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it just left me, because this was a, I guess we personally, this was a huge motivator. Hey, yeah. You know, not only doing what you're doing on the front lines, that was, if anything, that's easy. That's my job. But the messaging, the podcast, the real uh, uh, mainstream media, the, the bridges over barriers, the charitable stuff. This is a time to all step up. And yeah. I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but I, I, I'm overall disappointed in that lack of duty, in that lack of right. um, people wanting to step up. It's shocking, actually. Yeah. Um, when when you when you take a bird's eye, like a a bird's eye view and and just say like how many people were willing to just stay home and judge like I'll give you an example like I, this is another one that haven't left me I, I was out golfing with somebody and they were they they said a few things how could these hot spots we're talking about strategies for in Ontario which we thought would could have done better. It was like, how can these areas, these hotspot areas where they were being bad and not listening to public health and they get vaccine before I do. And, and I'm like trying to be, you know, compassionate, but at the same time, I'm like, what though? Have you not read a single thing out there, man? Like these people, if they could stay home, they would stay home. They can't stay home. This yeah. is the problem. Oh, and then it was like, Oh, this is only a few people. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm, this is what we were seeing. There weren't people that had the cho- choice of staying home and under Zoom and, and you know, doing their job from a, from afar. These are people that had to be at work and serve you. you your right. Uber Eats, your, uh, you know, Amazon. your loved one, your Amazon factory, all this yeah. stuff that you got to just thrive and, 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 and enjoy. They were stepping up, doing their part. So don't yeah. be judging these guys for getting sick. And yes, they do deserve to have their vaccine early. This is driven by the government and media narrative. Let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. So people have been conditioned into thinking this way. And it feels like everyone likes to judge, right? We yeah. have this society where we like to feel better. And there's this new kind of like religion of public health that some people have been able to follow because they do have the privilege of working from home. Mm. And yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Quadro, because personally as a psychologist, I've also found just that way of thinking like really, really hard to hear sometimes. Um, there was a great cartoon the other day. I actually took a screenshot of it, so I'll send it to you in case you didn't see it. And I don't know what publication it was in, but it was of a guy sitting in the backyard of his house. Did you see it? Yeah. yeah. And pointing a finger like you're the problem. And it's like these people in their crowded little, you know, high-rise apartment. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, as as you said, data-driven, follow what the data showed. 
Uh, let's not get too political. Um, but yeah, the, the, that sense of duty, which is what I was a bit, um, I don't know. It makes me sad to think that, you know, this wasn't glo- more of a global, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe it was a lot of people feeling that, but I just, there was a lot, also a sense that people didn't feel that sense of duty. And, and, yeah. um, and yeah, I mean, worrisome for sure. Cause part of our recovery does need to be contribution and duty and helping others. I remember we talked about that too, with like the four C's of coping during your four week challenge in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, contribution, connection. Mm-hmm. And so there were all these lost opportunities, right? Like maybe in the beginning, not possible, but yeah, like it's such a shame that basically anyone who did volunteer work had to stop doing volunteer work. Yeah. There's no one to help the kids in school yeah. who have trouble reading, learn to read. You know, there's so few, no one's going into the senior homes and, you know, putting a smile on their face, being like, a healthy well maybe that's starting again so yeah i hope we can get back to that you know yeah i hope so too and you know i do think we're you know overall i know the term is used commonly humans we are resilient we're gonna rally i'm hoping we'll rally behind this whole like we've mm-hmm. this extremely um effective vaccine campaign i think we, yeah. we just really should push towards getting uh back to normal and uh yeah, we'll get there. We'll absolutely yeah, get absolutely. there. But yeah, in the meantime, people who are having a hard time just remembering that helplessness, so yeah, not contributing, not feeling in control, helplessness and disempowerment are these core experiences of trauma that get in the way mm-hmm. of moving forward. So if people out there are listening and they have been feeling really socially anxious and maybe they're introverted and they never want to go back to as much you know, as many parties or things they didn't enjoy before, like, that's okay. We're not talking about everyone having the same level of social engagement, but choose for you what's a logical next step, you know, to work. And of course, if you're having trouble, reach out for help, you know, like the help is there. And um, yeah. Absolutely. Resiliency clinic. You know what I'm saying? And Um, for people who are having trouble financially, which unfortunately includes many people in healthcare, like many of the plans are insufficient for mm -hmm. hospital employees to do. We actually have a couple of master's level interns right now who are doing sliding scale. So if anyone reaches out through my website, resiliencyclinic.com and says, I'm in healthcare or I don't have insurance, I will, at least for the rest of this calendar year, I can help them get really affordable therapy. I love it. I love it. Thank Counseling you. This is another good way for people to get one to three free sessions. Which one you said? It's counselingconnect.org. Okay. We're actually taking some of those referrals through my intern program, like for pro bono counseling. It's through, um, it's through Centertown, I think, okay. like a community agency. So that's another good resource for people. But yeah, like sometimes even just a few counseling sessions where you can be open tell the real story maybe in a different way than your personal life. Like you can make a plan and get started. Listen, if there's anyone doing that sense of duty right now, it's Michelle Sorensen. Thank you so (laughs) much. All things, Michelle resiliency clinic. You heard it. Thank you for those that uh, are listening, listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can find us on solvinghealthcare.ca. We got solving wellness. 
healthcare providers, as you know, trying to reduce our sense of burnout. So this is one of our initiatives. We also got online workouts, yoga sessions, cooking classes, nutrition tips, just really creating that sense of community, trying to change that boogie. Um, you know, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, at Quadcast, sorry. And um, leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Stay wonderful. Be joyous.